everyone welcome back to mom get your shit together with your host amy albert that's me yes you all know um i'm so uh so excited to welcome um this guest today um she is a licensed clinical social worker she is um uh, an expert in um women's mental health and an author of myself please welcome kelly kitley Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm doing so well. How are you? I'm great, thanks. And you're um you're in Chicago, right? I am. Awesome. Um, well, I'm so excited to chat with you today. This is going to be um a very uh self care focused episode. Um, which I'm so excited about because I've been getting some emails and um uh questions. Um, kind of about like the mental health aspect of being a mom. And um, mm. it was so, uh, it was such kismet that um, our mutual friend, Kristen Goodman, who is the director of the Pump and Dump show, um, uh, re- said, oh, I have a friend. So um, I'm, I was so excited that you were available. So can you, um, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, I grew up in the city of Chicago uh, in a neighborhood called Lincoln Park, and I grew up above my parents' bar. So you can fill in the blanks there Um, (laughs) as the oldest of five and um, really grew up in a a pretty heavy drinking culture and, um, you know, caretaker and feel like I was born into the world of social worker Um, and had overcome a lot of my own adversity, Mm -hmm. um, which really led me to finding a passion and a love for women's mental health. And now, um, as a mom of four and I'm married to an actor, um, and I'm a woman in sobriety as well. Uh, it has been such a journey for me and I just want to share my experience, strength and hope to help others, uh, to practice self-care and focus on being the best version of themselves. Awesome. Oh, that's great. I need this. I need to hear about this. <laughs> so, um, so let's delve into, um, so you have four kids, um, and what are their ages? Uh, our, we're actually, I tell people we're in a sweet spot right now because nobody's in diapers. Mm. Everybody can make their own lunch for school. Um, my son is 13. My daughter is 11. Uh, I have another son who's nine and then a daughter who's seven. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. You are. That does sound sweet. My kids are, um, four and 18 months. So you are in the thick girl, girl, I'm doing it. Yeah, (laughs) totally. You know, I was in these rehearsals for like, you know, nine hours a day and then I'd come home like right during dinner and then to bath time. And it was amazing how exhausted I was at the end of the day, you know? Um, yeah. So I, and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really been, this is kind of like my first, uh, I'm jumping back into like full-time, you know, performer status and I haven't been there for a long time. So I was like, Oh my God, I, of course I've never done it with kids. So yeah. Oh my God. So, um, can you, um, so you touched on, um, uh, like addiction and growing up in kind of that culture. Um, and so, um, how did, how does that like tie into what you do now? I think there were six, four, two and 11 months. Mm-hmm. 
And I was very savvy about what addiction was and what alcoholism was and what I thought it looked like so much so that I studied it in graduate school. Mm -hmm. And I was a binge drinker. Um, And so, you know, I I educate people on alcohol abuse and alcohol being on a spectrum. Uh, alcoholism being on a, is a spectrum disorder. Okay. And so all the way to the right, we have what people think is an alcoholic, of you know, morning drinking, old man, losing his job, losing his family. Right. And then on the other side, it's like the non-drinker. And many people fall in between those two areas. And so um, I've been educating people around the country about gray area drinking and um, looking at making a lifestyle change. I identify as an alcoholic Mm -hmm. um, just because I tried to manage and control my drinking for 20 years. And so I finally gave it up and I know that I can't drink. Um, but there are a lot of different paths that people take. And so I found that, you know, with six and a half years of sobriety and having written a book, a lot of people and, and majority women in my practice are women who are looking at their drinking and looking at ways that they're parenting and wanting to focus on self-care and make some adjustments. And so, um, I tell people I have both, um, personal experience and professional experience, which, um, helps me, I think, empathize a lot and, and be proof that there is hope on the other side. Yes, definitely. Well, it's, you know, you're talking about, um, uh, alcoholism and, um, and, uh, what I, I can say for myself that since I've become a mom, um, my drinking has (laughs) increased, uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we do have, um, in, in my family, there, there is alcoholism, but not again, like, like very, like, a, I guess what we consider functioning, you know, like, mm-hmm. we're just like a fun time. And um, I was recognizing that uh, the second I would get both my kids in the house, I would be like, okay, now it's time for me to drink, <laughs> you know, like at the end yeah. of the day after picking them up. Um, and I know that that's like, all of my friends, uh, that have kids mm-hmm. my age do the same thing. Um, and so do you think, um, like how, how do you think, um, uh, addiction kind of weaves its way into parenting? Do you, do you find like with moms, mm-hmm. like it's, it's kind of like more prevalent or. Um, it's such a great question. You know, uh, I think that it's completely normalized and I know you're out in LA. I, I just did a segment on and this normalization, you know, I, I went from binge drinking to then when I had kids, you know, so much of the nighttime routine with kids is like this monotony and, you know, mm-hmm. dinner and bath and bedtime. And um, when I would get home from work, I felt like it was a reward for me to just get through that time. Right. Um, and yes. so it was very habitual. And everybody around me was drinking the same way I was. So when I stopped drinking, people were like, oh, my gosh, if you're an alcoholic, then I'm an alcoholic. Right. Um, but I think the qualifier is, you know, one, it affects women harder and faster than it does men. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I think that it is very normalized as a way to unwind and, and just kind of make it through. 
And three, I think if people have a, I mean, not just because you have a history of alcoholism doesn't mean you're going to become an alcoholic and vice versa. You know, there are lots of people who don't have a history who do end up developing, you know, maybe not a dependence, but an abusive relationship with alcohol. And I think the first step is just taking a look at it and saying, can I make adjustments? Why am I checking out? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rather than just habitually going to the fridge, pouring a glass of wine and continuously drinking throughout the night um, and trying to make some changes of substituting that with, you know, it, we like holding something and sipping something. Could that be, you know, I drink LaCroix um, on ice in a wine glass with a lime and that feels really refreshing to me. doesn't have the same effect as alcohol did, but, right. um, <laughs> you know, certainly just that ritual around that and, um, you know, I, I, and I think, how does it affect you? You know, my, I was agitated in the morning when I would wake up and, um, I didn't sleep well. And then I felt more anxious. Um, you know, it, a, a colleague of mine refers to it as pouring gasoline on anxiety, alcohol, you know, is a depressant and, and can kind of take the edge off, but then it magnifies the anxiety the next day. And, you know, for me, it got to a point where it just wasn't worth it anymore. Um, I wasn't enjoying it. Uh, and so I think first, if people can take a look at how it's playing a role in their life and try to make adjustments on their own, they may find like, oh, my gosh, I'm more connected with my partner or I'm more present at bedtime um, rather than just trying to get through. Right. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, that sounds a whole lot like me. (laughs) Well, no, this this bottle is cashed. Um, yeah, I mean, and I definitely, I totally relate to that. Like, it's that whole, um, even if things aren't like necessarily difficult at home with my kids, if they're just, if they're being perfect angels, I still would feel that, um, that like urge to like, I'll just, you know, numb this up a little bit. And I actually, since I've been in rehearsals for the show, I haven't uh, been drinking and I'm, (laughs) this is so sad, but I wake up in the morning. I'm like, Oh, I don't, I'm not angry. Okay. Like, and so it, it, yeah, It really has been interesting for me to like have that moment where it's like, of course. Um, uh, And so how would you say also, because I I, um, as I was reading through your bio, you had some experiences with um, postpartum anxiety, correct? Mm hmm. I sure did. Um, And so did you feel like uh, drinking also like you would drink to also kind of deal with that as well? Or was it just like at that point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it was definitely self-medicating mm-hmm. um, that my anxiety was so, I mean, and, and your, your chances, chances of experiencing postpartum anxiety are higher if you have experienced, you know, if you have kids closer in age and if you experienced it with subsequent pregnancies, these are qualifiers. I don't know how any mom doesn't have anxiety with right. kids yeah. because yeah. we are balancing and juggling so many things. Right. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was such a way to self-medicate. And I was having physical anxiety and panic that, oh my gosh, having a glass of wine was like popping a Xanax um, where right. I just felt calmer um, and it was more socially acceptable. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess <laughs> I know we don't talk about like popping Xanax at like birthday parties. I guess you're right. We do talk about wine. Um, yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, so um, 
would you say, because I, I had, um, with my daughter, I had horrible postpartum depression. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, and, and I, you know, have a background of pretty extreme depression and, you know, I'm medicated for it. And I'm so like, faux life medication. I just love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's life changing. Oh, it's it life changing. Life changing for people. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. I'm so grateful for mm-hmm. it. And I, I'm so grateful to my husband too, for being like, look, you know, you've been going through this for a while, you know, way, way before we had kids. And I was so grateful that like, I had a partner who was like, ain't no shame in that game, you know? Um, yeah. which is really Makes a huge difference. Yeah. Oh, huge difference. Oh my God. I love it so much. So, um, and so, uh, how many, um, women do you say, um, well, first of all, okay. So it's in terms of the self-care thing, m- mm-hmm. moms are like not great at it innately, right? right. Mm-hmm. Well, women in general are, are used to putting everybody else first. You know, I think, um, generically speaking, you know, we're just kind of born into the world, more caretakers, more emotional than men. Um, and kind of putting everybody else first. And I think our generation probably too um, has gotten better with that um, Mm -hmm. than maybe our parents' generation. Right. And so do you think it's like, so it's kind of like, yeah, like I guess we're, we see our mothers, you know, not like kind of putting everyone else first. And so we don't, Mm -hmm. we, so we kind of are just like doing, you know, what we learn. Um, so what would you, um, in terms of self-care, like how important is it for moms just uh, all together for them to like put, mm. make self-care a priority in their lives? Well, you know, I used to think drinking wine was self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think because it's so easy, you know, you're tapped out at the end of the day and right. it's just like a nice transition. I called it my like transitional object from work to home. Yes. Um, but recognizing that it wasn't really self-care. And so, you know, what self-care might look like for me may look very different to anybody who's listening. Um, but I think the commonality is like, can we carve out time throughout the day and maybe it's 30 minutes here or 15 minutes there, or maybe it's an hour yoga class, um, but a time that we can put our oxygen mask on first and say, mm-hmm. gosh, when I do this, I feel a little recharged and I feel like I'm a better version of myself. And then I can tackle whatever in front of me where I think most of us are wired to say, let me do 9,000 things first. And then whatever left, I'll, I'll try to, you know, engage in self-care. And so, I mean, even my kids know I'll give myself a timeout and be like, I'm going to my room for 15 minutes. I'm going to sit on my bed with my diffuser and I'm just going to lay and do nothing. Um, And then when I'm done with that, I feel like, okay, there was a shift in my mood and um, my interactions with them. I mean, that's on a good day, right? (laughs) Sometimes we're short fused and we can't like be self-aware enough to say, okay, this is what I need. But even if it's getting up in the morning before the kids wake up and and having a cup of coffee by yourself for 15 minutes, um, that can be great rather than, you know, you hear the baby and you jump out of bed and it's like an alarm. Um, right. Not an alarm clock, like a fire alarm. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so really being able to carve out that time or I hear a lot of my clients say like, I can't even go to the bathroom or shower without somebody, you know, calling my name. 
well, then lock the door, you know, and people will be okay without you for 15 minutes or, um, you know, sometimes find folding laundry to be soothing. Um, mm-hmm. I personally hate it, but right. <laughs> um, other people may say anything else or if um, just doing an activity and being mindful, then that can be great self-care. Um, and then there's the list of like, you know, things you can pay for massage or getting your nails done or, um, you know, things that you can purposefully go to a yoga class. Um, but I'm really trying to, because everybody lives such busy lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to, where can you fit it? You know, a drive to work can be time to, um, listen to a great podcast or music or, you know, um, just breathe. Why do you think it is so hard, um, for moms to engage in self-care? And do you think it's guilt? Like, is it guilt? Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is, um, that our job as mom, wherever this philosophy came from, you know, is, to put everybody else first. And I think it goes back generations of, um, you know, to be a good mom. And I put that in air quotes, you know, how do we define what a good, good mom or good enough mom is? Um, I think it was perceived as somebody who uh, took very good care of their kids and did everything for their kids and was so selfless. And, um, you know, those are all, I think, attributes of people not taking care of themselves and, and that idea of feeling really burnt out and resentful and, um, you know, not maybe being so ident finding such an identity with being a mom. Right. Um, and then that translates to, Oh, then you're a bad mom. And a good mom is somebody who does something for everybody else and is selfless. Right. Um, but I'm trying to change the conversation and say, no, you have to be selfish. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because mom guilt is such a such an asshole. Right. It's like <laughs> it's like it is. It's, yeah, it's the it's worst. Wasteful. It's and like we I think like society. I mean, I don't think I know society puts this guilt on us and then other moms put this you know this we kind of like pass this guilt back and forth to each other i i remember when i was um i'm i'm right now i'm part of this online mom group that is amazing so supportive and and we're all, like it's very much like we're all in each other's corner you know um uh-huh. and i feel like that's like not normal in mom culture right like like the, and i guess it's it just comes from like feeling that competitiveness or something i mean obviously i think i, I this is just an experience that i've had and witnessed it with other people but I remember I was in this online mom group and someone um posted about like they're they're they were asking about delays in their kids development like you know I I noticed that you know he's not hitting these marks and I'm wondering if anyone else has experienced this and instead of being like oh yeah I, I mean you know I had this and this it all turned out okay or you know here's been my my experience a lot of moms and I was so shocked by this jumped on there were like oh my god you know my son is so advanced that like you know I just feel like, like so I can't really relate but I'll be like I'll be thinking of you like so shitty you know yeah um and and I 
I'm so curious about like, what is that? And that's like, hasn't been like a personal, I haven't had women do that to me per se, but I've seen that. And I'm wondering why, why is it a thing? Well, I think we're so judgmental. Like it's a human condition to, to judge, um, but to be aware of when we do that, you know, and, and try to restructure our thoughts. Like if you catch yourself judging somebody and say, stop, that's not my experience. I don't have a right to judge that person. I don't know that person's whole story. Mm-hmm. But for some reason in mom culture or parent culture, it it's almost like a permission to um, judge or look at things and as opposed to sharing of resources. And um, I think moms judge each other as much as people who aren't moms. You know, I know a lot of my clients talk about feeling judged by their mother-in-law or their sister Mm. Um, you know, who maybe don't have kids. Um, right. And so I think it just, you know, we're vulnerable as moms because look, with every, um, developmental stage with our first child, we've never gone through it before, you know? And so we're questioning ourselves, which then makes us potentially look to other people and see how they're doing it. And if it looks different or better than we feel bad about ourselves, which ultimately then makes us project that onto other people. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we got to keep ourselves in check, you know, and be gentle with ourselves and not judgmental of ourselves. Um, which will then result in being kinder and more gentle with our communities. And I, I encourage people to, you know, if if different groups aren't working for people, I remember I tried a postpartum group um, after my first son and we were living in Santa Monica and I was like, Oh my gosh, I felt worse leaving those groups than better. And so I stopped going, you know, um, and found something else that worked for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, especially like being in some, in some place like LA where everyone is so like we all, you know, like there's such like a, like a, a way that we're all supposed to look and, you know, like there's our already all that pressure and then to kind of have it compounded by like, like, no, we're all supposed to be in the same boat. You know, we're all moms. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that's really interesting. So what are like, what are some, because I, I think like with a lot of moms that I know that have young kids and when they're kind of like navigating, re- recognizing they can't do everything, um, yeah. there's kind of a shame associated with that, right? And so is there a way to, A, like talk yourself out of the shame or, or maybe give yourself permission to feel the shame? Mm-hmm. Like how do you kind of navigate that? Well, you know, I think that, we can't, I I know we can't do it all. And the more we can accept that, the easier it's going to be. And I'm a big advocate for mantras. um, Mm. And even like writing things. I remember, gosh, we lived in this apartment with three kids at one point in Santa Monica. And Mm. my child, my, I would write, um, on butcher paper, like you are a good mom, babies cry, um, as mm-hmm. a reminder. Cause I did, I had to see it cause my brain wouldn't do it. Um, or being able to say, you know, even today with when my kids are older, like I am not a good cook. I, it is not something that, um, 
I prioritize nor put much energy into. Right. Um, and, and to be able to say like, but I'm good at these other things. And my kids are going to be okay, you know, or we'll figure it out or my, you know, leaning on my partner. I think that's a huge part of, you know, I feel very grateful that my spouse is an equal partner in this marriage and raising these kids. And, um, you know, some of the things that I'm not good at, I defer to him <laughs> and, right. nice. and being okay with that, you know. He's the disciplinarian. I'm not so great at that. But, um, you know, he teaches me and I learn from him and being able to recognize, like, I am not that powerful. And, you know, there's some things that are going to have to give. Right. Yes. And and being able to write down the things that we're good at. You know, sometimes we need reminders um, because this parenting thing is so fast um, that we forget to stop and reflect and say, good job. Like, I'm really proud of you. You got right. everybody out of the house this morning and you got to work on time. <laughs> right. You did it. <laughs> right. That's great. And, and, um, so that kind of leads me into, um, like some, so some tips for self-care you touched on a, a few of them, but I think this is such a great place to, to expand. So for women, moms who are really bad at taking care of themselves, what are like some steps that they can take to kind of ease them into, you know, delving into the world of self-care? Mm, well, I, I recommend every one of my clients gets a notebook when I first start seeing them. Mm-hmm. And first of all, it's recognizing the internal dialogue and the cognitive So the thought um, philosophy behind that is our thoughts trigger certain emotions Mm -hmm. where sometimes people think it's like, oh, I feel this way. I hate that I feel this way. Why? Well, if we can look at what we're saying to ourselves and be aware of that and write down, you know, um, carve out time. It, It does take intention and being mindful and being purposeful of being aware of the things we're saying to ourselves um, and writing those negative things, you know, especially postpartum with body image issues, you know, mm. oh gosh, I feel so gross or I can't fit into those jeans or I can't get into a workout routine rather than looking at all these things that we're not doing, mm-hmm. being able to write down the things that we are. Um, and so changing the way that we're thinking and having concrete evidence of, you know, putting bed or sitting on the couch and being their partner and not being having sex. I mean that's self-care and wanting it and doing it for you rather than feeling like, uh, my husband wants to do it. Um, right. and so the the thought process, but then the behavior changes small things, you know, um start care why start with having a a bar in the morning as a form of self-care and being able to start small and then build on those things um you know going and buying yourself something that fits rather than trying to fit into old clothes and beating yourself up every time you put those clothes on right oh god that's me that's what i did (laughs) (laughs) just go buy the bigger size (laughs) it's okay Um, yeah, that's, and, and what about like, okay, so for, for women who have like little kids who, I mean, cause obviously exercise does really contribute to, you know, beating or not beating, helping with the depression 
side of things, mm-hmm. right? No, mm-hmm. if if you can't if you can't get into some sort of routine and you have like a little many little kids or one little kid and it's just not happening or you're or you're recovering or you know whatever um you physically can't do it. What is like what can you do and uh, to that's an alternative if you know just like sure. little things. Yeah. Um, that's another way to restructure the way we look at it. You know, um, not being like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good or I'm bad. Um, Mm. there is a gray area, you know, um, and looking at how we move our body as opposed to like, I went to the gym and worked out for 60 minutes. Um, but being able to say like, I threw the baby in the stroller and we walked around the neighborhood and gosh, that was a mood shifter. Or, um, I did squats in my kitchen while the kids were eating breakfast you know? right, or yeah. I, I, I walked up the stairs instead of t- took the elevator. And so being able to just say like, my goal is to move my body because I know that it affects my mood, mm-hmm. um, rather than consistently shaming yourself for not having gotten a great workout in or, you know, continuously setting yourself up to fail when you say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym this week or um, I'm going to do that class and then not doing it. That just makes us feel worse. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, so like, so like little changes make a huge difference. Huge. Yes. And we have to just look at ways of being able to fit things in, uh, in our already structured and trying to pile things into an already really busy day. And that can be through mindfulness and being present with just like the smell of your coffee in the morning and the sound of it. And, you know, so many of us, I think as moms multi are constantly multitasking. Um, so we're checking email while we're making coffee, while we're throwing the kids lunch together for daycare or school or whatever it might be. Um, but if we slow down and focus on just what's right in front of us, we will have more capacity for self-care throughout the day. Oh, right. Okay. And yeah, just like sort of like paring things down. I, I often feel that way. Um, like even today I was, I take my kids to the dentist and, and then I, you know, had to drive them back and then I had to go do work and then I had to, you know, prep and do all this stuff. And it seemed like when I'm looking down over it, that it seemed so overwhelming. And I was like, there's no way I can do all of this. But right. do you ever recommend, I mean, uh, do you recommend like um, making a, a list and is, do you think that's a better way to kind of like, like kind of square it off in your brain where it like makes sense or? Yes, yes. I was yes. just texting another mom about carpooling today and this came up and she was like, do you know how your daughter is getting to this birthday party over the weekend? And I was like, I don't even know what's for dinner tonight. Right. <laughs> hour by hour and um, I think we can set ourselves up for success if we look at just the next day the night before and Mm. I know for me on Mondays that tends to be a day that I can work from home and Mm. get um, things done around the house so it's hour by hour you know like get out target 10 to 11 come home unpack groceries, literally write it down like that. And then when I start looking at the rest of my week, 
I need to say, Kelly, stop. You need to focus on what's just right in front of you or it's going to feel way too overwhelming. I'll focus on the birthday party that I got to get my kids to this weekend, closer to the weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, great. That's such great advice. Like instead of being like, because that's so easy to get, just feel like so in the weeds when you're when you're uh, looking at, you know, things just down the line like that. I have definitely, definitely struggled with that. Um, And so it's, I love that. So looking at kind of your next day, the night before, so it won't overwhelm you is, is really lovely. Um, And would you say, do you think that with social media, that that is contributed to a lot of the anxiety that moms feel now? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. I think we're, we all know a lot of this stuff, but we have a hard time putting it into practice. It's like, I think social media has been, and I was a late comer to the whole Facebook, Instagram stuff. And empowerment through that, because I choose to follow people who lift me up and reminding myself that people aren't posting themselves crying on the floor because their kids aren't listening to them or screaming at the top of their lungs because your kid got out of bed for the 10th time. Um, They're posting like the snapshot of the 10 seconds that was a moment of awesomeness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it has been flows. So like, yes, capture those moments, but also recognize that it's like um, a photo album. People don't put pictures that create bad memories out there. So maybe it can encourage you to better job or to say, oh my gosh, look, they took their kids to the zoo. That can empower me to, um, as opposed to looking at it like, oh my gosh, I can't even get, you know, my kids to the park down the street, much, much less pile them in the car and take them to the zoo. Um, that it's the, again, the way we look at it. And if people are, there are a lot of great online um, mom groups that are very supportive. Um, but then there are some that aren't and just being choosier with what you're exposing yourself to. Right. I, I really love what you just said about you choose um, in terms of social media to follow people that lift you up as opposed to, you know, make you feel bad about yourself. And I, I think part of social media, in my experience, is that like we're told that the people that make us feel like shit are the ones we're supposed to like the most. Right. I know. <laughs> I know. Which is ridiculous. I mean, um, but that is so part of the culture. And so um, as, you know, as a mom, like how can you, how can you like break that, pattern of like doing things that that don't how I'm going to rephrase this how can you start empowering yourself in terms of that stuff because obviously we're so you know social media driven like that is totally Mm -hmm. our culture now so how Mm -hmm. can we like actively seek out positive influences that will help lift us up Well, first it needs to come from within and I tell people to put their blinders on. Like there are, there's so much information out there from, should you sleep train your kids? Should you not? How should you potty train? What car seat is best? Best family vacation. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so overwhelming. So to be able to focus on what works for me and my family may not work for somebody else and vice versa 
And so being able to kind of look so much of parenting, I think that we don't acknowledge is a natural kind of gut feeling and intuition. Mm -hmm. And we get so if we can kind of calm all the outside noise down, then we really know what to do or how to respond. And um, I think a tool to use would be many of us, when our kids go to bed, the first thing we do is go grab our phone so we can kind of check out and scroll, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting time limits on it and saying like, I will only do this from eight to eight thirty because then I know I go down this rabbit hole and that's not helpful for me. Cause then I start judging myself and maybe judging other people. Um, and being able to, you know, follow, I, I hope anybody who's listening, if they find that somebody is really rubbing them the wrong way, when they look at their social media posts, unfollow that person. Nobody's going to know, <laughs> you know, yeah. people have thousands of followers. Like nobody's going to say, Oh, Kelly Kitley unfollowed me because, um, she must not have liked what I was posting or whatever it might be. It's like, uh, that goes back to self care. Like that is not working for me. Right. God, that's so. I mean, like even that phrase "that is not working for me," that mm-hmm. that feels like a foreign concept. <laughs> I know, I know. That's amazing, and it's so. Yeah, it's so easy to. I mean, like you know, we look at like the Kardashians or whatever, and yeah. um, and there's you know the and the body image thing is so prevalent. Um, and it's like, it's so easy to just go down that, that worm hole of just being like, well, I'm terrible. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. And these are all the reasons. And then, you know, you wake up one day and you're just completely, completely depressed. Um, mm-hmm. so it's like disengage, like disengage, make a healthy choice. And disengage. disengage. I love that. It's like disengage. You, nobody is forcing you to do that. You don't have to. And you know, I mean, going on the social media thing, which I've been dying to talk about and haven't had the opportunity yet, is oh, <laughs> um, Sarah Haynes, who is on, you know, a form of Good Morning America, mm-hmm. um, had a baby and went back to work six weeks later. And it was her third. Wow. And she looks fabulous. And, you know, she brings her kids to work with her. And she's doing photo shoots for People Magazine. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Most women can't even figure out how to shower with yeah. three kids or two kids or one, you know? Yeah. And, and I think when we see that stuff going on, it's like, oh my gosh, if she's doing that and she looks great and she's a, a this, you know, incredible professional and, you know, has three kids and blah, 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 fill in the blank, then mm-hmm. what's wrong with me? And right. I, I think when we're you, when we have women like that as our model, it makes us feel worse. So I wish somebody would talk about that who has a bigger platform than I do because it's insanity and it makes other women feel badly because they can't do that. Right. Yes, absolutely. And even even if like logically we're like, oh, well, she has help or she has a makeup artist and she has, you know, the good spanks or whatever. Um, it still it does affect how we feel so so much um and so it feel it almost feels like to I think sometimes I know I felt this way um especially after my my daughter that like I couldn't see anything without feeling bad and so maybe maybe it wouldn't be bad to like totally disengage like give yourself like two weeks being like I'm taking myself off of social media altogether 
Um, mm-hmm. So you can kind of like, you know, like, as you said, like look inward and start building from the in- inside out. Um, yeah. I couldn't imagine. I don't have personal experience with um, social media when my kids were younger, but I do know, maybe more towards when my fourth was uh, smaller because mm-hmm. all those nights that you're like not sleeping. I mean, social media is such a time passer that yes, yeah. you're not, you know, that so much of it is just like, oh, I'm bored, you know, it kind of hand in hand with the drinking, right. <laughs> drinking and social media, bad combination when you're yeah. bored. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, like, I mean, also like parenting can be boring, right? It's like, oh, so yes. boring. <laughs> it's so boring sometimes. <laughs> and that's something like women don't say enough, like. I, I would say to my friends, like, I am so effing bored right now. Like, oh, my God. Like, sh- she wants to read to me, but she can't read. You know, like, I just complain and whatever. And and um, and um then, like, I would, you know, sometimes I would see people be like, oh, uh, like, you know, grimacing. Like, oh, you're not supposed to say that stuff. But I, I'm trying to, like, be more vocal about, like, the realness of all this stuff. Um, yeah. And be like, no, it's totally boring. Sometimes it completely sucks. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, that's okay to feel that way. Because <laughs> Yeah, and there are some people that, that are very authentic on social media, you know, who will say, like, this is my real body postpartum or, um, you know, gosh, didn't sleep. Or, you know, and I think there's a, there's a forum for those things, too. But um, we're, sh- we're definitely shifting, but we've got a lot of work to do. Indeed. Yeah. And um, I was something I, uh, that also reminded me of this, you know, p- postpartum depression wasn't something that or anxiety or psychosis or any of those mm-hmm. things wasn't really something that people were talking about very often up until I see the last couple couple of years. Um, and um, now, you know, there have been actresses that have come out being like, yes, these were my experiences. So um for like, for instance, um, for women who are experiencing some sort of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum, whatever, like, are there resources that you know of where they can, like, if they're like, I think I'm having this, or if they're not sure, um, do you know, like, how they can identify that and how they can reach out to get help for that kind of stuff? So, um, as I had explained um, in the beginning of our conversation about alcohol being a spectrum disorder, um, postpartum depression is as well. And postpartum depression is like this umbrella that I explain to people. And underneath that, you know, people, there's anxiety, there's panic disorder, there's obsessive compulsive disorder, there's depression, there's psychosis, you know, that um, I think a lot of times, like the alcoholic example I gave, people think you only have postpartum depression if you want to kill your child. Right. And it's like, that's all the way to the right. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's yeah. an extreme case. And that certainly happens. But there's also different levels and variations of what that looks like. And one of the things that that I, I can't quote specifically, but I think it's been implemented nationally, is that when you go for your six-week postpartum checkup, I think it's required that OBGYN gives you a form to fill out that says, you know, very concretely, some of the symptoms of postpartum depression and anxiety. And I know 
a lot of the women I've worked with say that they dismiss that um, questionnaire and oftentimes they have their baby with them. They're just trying to like hurry through the appointment and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but postpartum depression is a year after giving birth. So yeah. if people, you know, it's very normal to kind of be, cry, you know, weepy and cry and emotional within those first two weeks. Um, and then sometimes people are like, oh, I got through the first three months. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes women are experiencing symptoms six months or nine months after they deliver and just being able to be, you know, therapy. I'm a huge proponent for, I'm biased cause I'm a therapist, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, any kind of support, that, the first step is just talking to somebody. And if, if you're in a relationship with a partner, they are usually a very good indicator of being able to say like, Hey, you don't seem right. Um, I've been noticing this. You know, don't bring it up when right. <laughs> somebody's in the heat of the moment or it will backfire. But right. even just being able to talk to like a best friend about it, a, a significant other, um, and recognize that you don't have to be, a, you know, experience this alone, especially women who've gone through fertility issues or, you know, tried to get pregnant for a really long time. And then they, they're like, oh my gosh, isn't this supposed to be the best thing in the world? And you're like, no, it sucks. Yeah. Right. Um, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and that guilt and that shame again, that comes up for like, oh, I thought having a baby was supposed to be awesome. And actually it's really hard. And I'm afraid to admit that because everybody else is telling me it's supposed to be great. Right. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, I mean, that speaks to so many, I, you know, I know a lot of women who went through IVF and, and they have this notion that it's going to be so magical and, and they're born to do it. And even if you are born to have kids, um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a rude awakening when you're like, oh, this blows, um, (laughs) you know, not all of it, but some of it certainly sucks. So, um, so that, so, you know, I, I love that, like making, making sure that you, that you have, the ability or giving yourself permission to talk about it with people um, it seems Great. to be. I love you not have to do it alone. And right. you will find relief in knowing that there are a lot of women out there who have had similar experiences. And it's, that's how we connect through sharing those stories. Yes, definitely. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, gosh, this is going to make so many women feel so much better. (laughs) I hope so. I really do. It is. It's breaking the silence, breaking the stigma, and having different conversations around parenthood. Yes, definitely. That's amazing. Um, Kelly, you're so fabulous. Where um, Where can people find your book, and where can they follow you and learn more about you? Oh, thanks. Um, so I have a website, Kelly Kitley, and um, I spell my name K-E-L-L-E-Y, Kitley, K-I-T, as in Tom, L-E-Y.com. And myself, an autobiography of survival can be found um, on Amazon. It was an Amazon bestseller and is all about my journey through um, and some trauma and some addiction and and then parenting and coming out on the other side okay and and sharing my truth with people is really my mission oh that's so lovely and um uh you know i mean even just having you on here i I know that my listeners especially those who you know recently had a baby and or are kind of in the middle of it are just gonna feel so i'm validated hearing that like it's totally okay to go through all of these emotions and feel all these things and know that they don't have to be a certain way or do a certain thing yes 
feel all the feels because there's a lot of them. And oh, yeah. Sometimes all at the same time. <laughs> exactly. That's so lovely. Well, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You were so wonderful. It's been so amazing talking to you. And um, yes, I, I can't wait to get this episode out so everyone can learn more about you. Thank you, Amy. It was such a pleasure. Mom. How can I fuck up the words? It's the name of my podcast. Hi, I'm Holly Laurent, and I have an improvised podcast called Mega, where my co-host Greg Hess and I play characters working at a fictitious mega church. Each episode features a guest comic playing characters who are part of our church staff or community. You can find us on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out. Church is about to get a whole lot funnier. Campfire.